Welcome. This is my truth as a platform for honest, open conversations. The stories I share or that others share are often not spoken about or discussed, but once told, I believe they have the ability to shine a light on another perspective or a much needed conversation. These stories may make us laugh, some may make us cry, but together we will learn from one another and begin to heal. Because walls need to be torn down, masks need to come off, stories need to be heard in order for our truths to be told. This is my truth. Will you tell me yours? Hello, hello, podcast world. Welcome back to This Is My Truth. I am thrilled to be able to have this conversation with my friend Natalie Siston. Natalie is just this badass woman who I'm so grateful I connected with. And you know those people, you know they're put in your life for a reason? Natalie is one of those people for me. And our conversation is all about learning to be unapologetically ourselves. And for so many of us, I think you are going to be able to relate to our conversation because how many of you can relate to the concept of like different versions of yourself? And I think I've talked about this on this podcast before, and I talked a little bit about it in my conversation with Natalie, but you know, I often feel like there's several different versions of, of me. And sometimes I forget, or I don't even know if I know anymore who the core of Jesse is. And I think that this is true for women in corporate America, but I think this is true for just women generally. And I obviously can only speak from my own experience as someone who has been in corporate America. Um, it's, it's a, it's a pandemic in its own right. And, you know, maybe not to the scale of COVID, but, but maybe, and this notion of being able to reclaim you, you and unapologetically you and let that version of you shine and stand out that is what our conversation is all about. Natalie's book, Let Her Out, launches today, and you are able to uh, download a copy on on Kindle or obviously go buy the the paperback um, version. And I'm so excited because I just had this big goofy grin on my face the entire time Natalie and I chatted and I think you will too. So if there are parts of our conversation that resonate with you, I would love, love, love to hear about it. Let me know. Shoot me a DM on Instagram at this is my truth. Um, Feel free to reach out over email. And if a part of our conversation resonated, Of course, I would love um, you to leave a rating or a review. Let me know what you think of our conversation. And with that, I will let you all plug in, relax, and enjoy the conversation with Natalie Siston.
Hi, Natalie. I am so excited to have this conversation. I feel like there's been so much anticipation and, and I've heard a lot about you. I love everything you stand for. So I'm very excited. Thank you for being here. The feeling is mutual. I am excited to see where our conversation goes today. Awesome. Well, I'd like to open with the question, what is the truth that you would like to share today? The truth I would like to share today is that I, like many women, have been walking around for the last five years, shaking my head yes on the outside, when on the inside I have been screaming no, and just putting on the facade and putting on what I thought everyone else wanted to see, and it's not okay for us to do that anymore, and my truth is to say let's just go be ourselves and own whatever happens when we step into her shoes. Oh my gosh. Yes. I love that. And I'm, I'm shaking my head because I can so relate to that. And I think many women can relate to that. Um, so tell me more about your journey. What has led you to that realization? I have had a long career in really big organizations. From the time I graduated from Ohio State back in 2002, I worked for large universities, Fortune 100 companies, uh, did really well. I'm a great organization person. I, I'm, a, I'm a great worker and I like to figure out systems. So that was always really fun for me. But along that path, I knew there was something more. And I think we see a lot of people who are in corporate jobs and they just see that there's something more for themselves. So I hired a coach when I, when I hit a rough patch in my career, when I was just feeling meh, as I call it. And that coach opened up ideas and doors and things for me that I wasn't anticipating, hadn't thought about in a long time. And she had me reconnect to her. We're going to talk probably a lot about her today, but she had me reconnect to that person who was spirited and confident and excited about every day. And she said, what are the things that, that she did? And the things that she did was speak and write and just be open and be on stage and be present and be bold. And she said, okay, well, go do those things. Go find your voice again. And so quickly I was able to, you know, find local networking store events to, to present at and that kind of thing. But I was like, there's something bigger that I talk about. And part of my story is that I grew up in a town of 600 people in rural Northwest Ohio. It's called Republic, which is just very quaint. Everyone, you know, there is also a town called Independence in Ohio. So we're very traditional kind of <laughs> Midwest town feel. Um, but everything that I talked about, all the leadership lessons I feel like I learned that I took to these big campuses, big organizations, were from growing up in that small town. And so I said, I think there's this a platform for me to use on my speaking and writing, and I think it's called small town leadership. And so I figured out how to build a website and create a platform and a brand. And in, in March of 2016, I officially launched that platform, which has now turned into my full-time business. And I've left those organizations. So I think what's happened over these four years of hiring a coach, now becoming a coach myself, is I realized it was just time to let go of the shaking of the head on the outside while screaming no on the inside. And that connects with the book that I have coming out, today uh, called Let Her Out, Reclaim Who You've Always Been. So I feel like over the last four years, I've been on that journey to let her out. And it meant I had to go connect to my roots. It had to remind myself of where I came from. And at the same time, I had to own where I was 
at big organizations while growing this company. And then as I took a step to quit that secure job during the middle of a global pandemic, because she couldn't stay, she couldn't stay in anymore. She had to be let out. I, there's so much I want to unpack. Um, but what's coming up for me is yesterday, actually, I just posted on Instagram that I'd woken up um, with this thought in my head of who am I without Google? And that Google can be replaced with any label I've ever put on myself, right? Who am I if I'm not a mom? Who am I if I'm not a wife, a partner? Who am I if, uh, you know, like there's, there's endless sort of labels that we've all, who am I of someone who has not, you know, struggled in, with infertility, right? Like all of those things. And at the heart of it, right, is it's, who, who are you? Like, who are you at the core when you strip those labels away? I, I saw that post and I immediately was like, oh my gosh, we are so meant to be having this conversation today <laughs> because that's the crux of let her out. It truly is. Uh, I think a part of what I wrote in the final section of the book, which is all about the let her out process for, for me personally was that there was something holding me into my big corporate jobs. And it wasn't just a secure paycheck, right? It, it you know, cause there are, there are other ways to make a living. And, and I was already doing that on the side. So it was, that was part of it, but there was this other element of, but I'm the only person who can do this job. And what are they going to do without me? And it was really, it felt very egotistical when I stood back and looked at it. And I finally just called myself out on the load of bull crap that it was. Cause that's exactly what you just said. Like that is exactly what it is, is we, we can strip down all of those labels and take all the reasons away. And at the end of the day, I think what happens is we stand back and look at ourselves and that's when we really have to face the truth of am who I am. <laughs> is that enough? And all the head stuff starts. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it's so true. Right. And I think that one of the fears that women have is if they strip all of those labels, what if they don't like what they see? Exactly. Yes. And that's why I feel like it's so important to come back to her because, so I have two young daughters, they're eight and 11 and I see them now through the eyes of a 40 year old mother, but I also look at them because age eight is when I started writing in a diary. And that's actually what inspired this whole book to begin with. Cause I was reading those diaries last year going, holy cow, like I want more of that. Like I want her. And so now I'm encouraging my daughters to just be bold, be confident. You know, my uh, talking about yesterday, uh, my, my daughter uh, who's eight, recently like won a costume contest at school and she submitted a, a poster to the local fire department. They do a fire safety contest. She was just convinced that she was going to win this contest because why wouldn't she win? You know, she is awesome. And I being the protective mother who doesn't want her to be disappointed, I'm trying to like preemptively prepare her that, well, you know, we don't always win. So just, you know, be really excited that you won the costume thing. You don't always have to win. And then what does she do yesterday? She walks in with the certificate saying, I won. And she was super excited. And, it, you know, it wasn't like it, she was owed that. But I'm like, okay. In that moment, I, I said to myself, that's who I need to nurture as a mother. And that is who, as, as women, we need to remember 
okay, I was once that girl who loved winning the poster contest. And it was okay to be like, I want to win. I think, I think so often we don't say those things because it feels like, oh gosh, you know, you're aggressive or you're too assertive when no, I'm just being who I've always been. I've just shoved her to the back corner because society has told me to do that. Or people have told me to do that. Or I've told myself to do that. And no, I'm not going to do that anymore. I uh, like, I have a huge smile. Obviously people cannot see this, but I have a huge smile on my face. I want to talk about the the societal impact, like the cultural sort of like, for me, you know, I come from a family. I also grew up in a small town, but it, it was less than 7,000 people. So not, not that still counts in my book. Anything, um, under, anything under 10,000, I consider small. And I often joke that like everybody knew everybody's business. And I also grew up, um, with a very large extended family and we all sort of went to the same school and like everyone knew my cousins were a little older than me and a little bit younger. Um, and I have two younger sisters too. So like everyone knew we were like related, right. And everyone sort of knew everybody's stuff. Um, and in some ways it was amazing. And in some ways I actually credit it for wanting to, to get out. And I went to school in Boston, which was like unheard of in my family, fairly unheard of in my town to sort of like leave, the tri-state area. Um, and so I did what I was thought was sort of what I was supposed to do. Right. I, I went to college, I got the, the quote unquote, good job with a good company right out of school. Um, and I don't want to discredit any of that because it, served me, right? Like going to Boston, spreading my wings, making the connections I made was amazing. You know, I remember, I'll never forget this. I actually wasn't going to take the job at Google. And I called my dad and I was like, I have the offer letter. I, um, but I think I'm going to turn it down. I'm in, I'm in an elevator. And he was like, you don't turn Google down. And this is back in 2007 when they had just, actually it was 2006, when they had just um, for the first time been announced like the best company to work for. And I was like, I think I might. And he was just like, you, you, don't, you don't turn it down. And I don't regret that moment. Like I don't regret the moment where I made the decision because it has taught me so much. Um, and it continues to tell me, to, to teach me so much, you know, I'm, I'm constantly challenged, but I think about those times where I've maybe snuffed my sort of inner voice, um, because I did what was sort of culturally expected of me. I think it happens in any organization. And a lot of the work I do as a coach, which I think ties into this is, is people come to me because maybe they're in their meh period of their career, or in some cases, they've told their employer, I'm thinking about leaving. So their employer hires me as the coach. So there's a neutral third party who this person can spill their guts to. I don't have any stake in the outcome. I'm just there for what's best for that employee. And oftentimes it's, it's kind of what you discussed, like they're feeling beat down by the culture. They're feeling like they can't truly go be themselves. 
And so what we focus on in those moments is what are the things that you do outside of work that light you up and bring you joy? So for you, you're, you're producing this podcast. For other people, it's been things like I enjoy music or I enjoy writing or I'm, I'm not exercising, I'm not moving my body, I'm not cooking. And they feel like they bring all the weight of their work home. So there's no energy left to do any of those things. And it's really a rewiring of the brain to say, okay, and, I, and you're shaking your head. People can't see that on the on the uh, the audio either. But yeah, it's it's we have to take that one step forward. It's just like starting an exercise program. You know, the first day is really hard to get up and do the thing you're going to do, but you feel amazing afterward. It gets easier every day. Your body gets stronger, and you're like, how did I live without this? And then the day you don't exercise, you feel terrible. Um, and so I think we all just need to realize that we are more than our workplace. We are more than our title, we're more than our company. And if we can step into our full selves outside of work, then we can start bringing way more of ourselves into work. And of course, we're probably still gonna do the, do the things that are culturally acceptable. You know, I'm never suggesting that somebody go in and like go completely AWOL and crazy <laughs> meta organization, <laughs> but at least it's if, if you can find your voice a little more deeply or you can find those we called them best friends at work at my last company. If you can find those best friends at work who can really help hold you accountable to being who you are in the workplace, at least in some safe areas, it might not be at the big hundred person meeting, but maybe it's with your small team of five. And if we can just feel good about our whole life, like work life feels so much better. And then all of a sudden we don't have these weird feelings of, Ooh, do I even want to work at Google anymore? Mm, I don't know if it's right for me. So it's just, it's, we live whole lives and we just need to spend our time focused on bringing energy to the whole life, not just our work. And many women will just pour themselves into the work and everybody else and not themselves and be burnt out and the spiral goes down. So we just need to spiral up in the opposite direction. I think that's so true. And I, I keep thinking about, right, this notion of bring your full self to work. And I am very fortunate. I think Google has actually done an amazing job of, you know, thinking about psychological safety and building team cultures and allowing spaces while also acknowledging that, um, not everybody is able to do that. And how do we continue to evolve that conversation and be thoughtful about, um, ensuring that all perspectives are heard. And, you know, as a leader of a team, that's, that's really important to me. And I think that's true of most leaders at Google. Um, but I want to, I want to talk about, you know, specifically what you just said in terms of for women, this, this notion of like always putting yourself last mm. and how that, how that manifests. And I'm curious for you, what did that, one, can you resonate with that? And what did that look like for you? Oh my gosh. So I'm actually going to read you an excerpt from the book because I think it, this, I just posted that, posted this one this week. Um, I, love it. I, I have an early sneak peek crew who's gotten some of these and here's what this feels like to me. So I call these in my book of barriers. So we have, the reason we're not letting her out is because we've built up barriers to her across our life. And so in the book, I describe nine different barriers I've personally experienced, things from just imposter syndrome, things like 
you know, going through a miscarriage with my, um, in between my pregnancies, going through this coaching process and stuff, but this is a barrier I'm calling that's feeling of empty emptiness. So I do a flashback to a diary entry I wrote when I was 16. I haven't written lately. Life's really strange right now. I have so many things going for me. I'm doing so much, but sometimes I feel so empty. So now fast forward to the book, okay. As a teenager, feeling empty was a deep emotion. When I spotted this barrier, so many things made sense. Accomplishments, awards, and accolades are nothing if accompanied by the feeling of emptiness. Many of us are walking around empty. We give away everything on the path toward achievement that we miss out on the moments that matter along the way. As an adult, emptiness has shown up on those days when I go nonstop from dawn until dusk, and I wonder, what did I accomplish today? It's standing in your kitchen, kitchen, making dinner while simultaneously hearing about the school day and the latest work drama, and all you wanna say is slow down, talk one at a time. I can't do this, it's too much. At those moments, it's almost like I am so full that all I can feel is empty. Wow. Wow. That's how that feels to me. Thank you for sharing. And I, I've been there. I really have. And I feel like even though I wrote this and I know it's a barrier, it still happens three out of seven days a week. That same scenario, standing in the kitchen, (laughs) trying to, trying to focus on one thing and you have 49 things going on. You just want to say, make it stop, make it all slow down. I can't be who I want to be with you in this moment because I just need a minute to catch my breath. And I feel like we as as women, as moms, as professionals, we need to feel comfortable asking to take the breath or just stepping away to take that breath. And I've noticed during the pandemic, um, it's felt like I haven't been able to walk away because we're always together. (laughs) It's like my husband's working from home, I'm working from home. Our children are here half days, uh, they go to school half days. Um, but it's just like, I feel like I'm completely surrounded by people at all times and I can't let my creativity flow. I didn't realize how much this was holding me back until the other day that my, my children went off for a play date for a longer portion of the day and they're typically at school. And I found myself cooking a beautiful meal. I found myself like enjoying reading. And I was like, wow, when I'm so surrounded by people all the time, I am not allowing myself to just be who I am. That no one cares. Everyone's doing their own thing. I they they I can make a beautiful meal while they're sitting in the next room, but something inside me was telling me I couldn't. So that was a really illuminating moment for me to say, wow, it felt so easy and, and in flow to do this when I wasn't surrounded by people. So why can't I do that when I am surrounded by people? I think you bring up a good point with the pandemic, right? I just I recently was alone in my house for 45 minutes for the first time in seven months. And I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> like, like I honestly didn't even know what to do with myself. Um, so yes, but, but I want to go back to like the, this notion of like being surrounded by people being surrounded, but yet still feeling so alone, because I think that is what so many people can resonate. I often say when I was going through, you know, 
IUIs and IVF, I had a village. Like I had all this support when we lost, you know, my, my oldest daughter's twin brother, I, I, people flew in to, to be there with me, but I had never felt so alone. And we all have moments, right. That we felt alone or isolated. And that's the impetus of this platform is to, to, because I believe community connection come through sharing stories, but I think you're striking a chord, which is even if you have that support, you have to allow yourself to accept it. Absolutely. Yeah. Cause if you're sitting there going, I, I'm, 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 maybe I'm not ready for the support yet, or I'm not in a place where my head and my heart are where I can sit down and have a conversation. I'm still just holding, holding up in my shell. Um, you know, I, when, when I experienced miscarriage in, it's been a long time, it's been about 10 years ago at this point, you know, the loneliness for me in that moment came from not having told anybody we were pregnant. And so you feel like you're carrying this huge secret around and the people who do know are walking on eggshells because they've never experienced that before. And they weren't sure how to, what kind of support was needed. Um, so it's, it's those, those are the moments you're embarrassed in your life. Cause you've just experienced something physically that you didn't know was possible, or you didn't know what it was going to be like both emotionally and physically. And yeah, it leaves you feeling really alone. And, um, one of the things I was excited to hear about your platform that resonated with me was a, a writing project that I did two years ago was called 52 Weeks of Meaningful Connections. And that was my desire to get to, to be dis disciplined about writing and requiring myself to have something every week to write. So kind of like you have to be disciplined to get your podcast posted twice a week. For me, it was like, okay, I need to have an article once a week. And I talk about networking all the time. And there's something deeper called connection. And what I realized when I was in that process, you know, at the beginning, it was very much like how to send a good LinkedIn uh, invitation and how to show up really well at networking events and what to do when you meet the random stranger in the grocery store line and striking up a conversation. So it felt very surface level, it felt very safe. It felt very like, oh, this has been done before. And about partway through that experience, I just had another one of those flashball moments and I just said to myself, I am so damn lonely. Like I'm, I'm putting myself out in the world. I've had this platform for two years. I'm leading all this stuff at work. Like I'm, I'm out on social media. I'm not hiding, but my God, I'm lonely. And from that moment forward, which was, I think about week 30. So for the next 20, you know, for the next 20 writings of that, I dug into things like we're talking about now in terms of disconnection and vulnerability and authenticity, because that's, that's how we connect with people. Uh, the, when I, when I coach people, I think what's interesting is the, you know, something attracts people to work with each other. And I, you know, I'm showing up in the world in a certain way. And we talk They're like, I just want to be more like you. And I'm like, well, that's really weird. What is it that you experience when you meet with me? You're like, I don't know. There's just something bigger about you. And, and I know exactly what that is, Jesse. It's that I've learned how to connect deeply and authentically because I am willing to, I'm willing to push down that barrier when I meet somebody and just be open with them, especially in a, in a situation like this one-to-one. -one. I know there are many, many people listening, but for right now it's you and me yeah. and there's nothing to hide. Like I don't have to be somebody I'm not meant to be. 
I just have to be open and vulnerable, authentic and tell you the truth, right? <laughs> That's exactly it, right? It's funny because obviously I've, I've spent the last 13, almost 13 and a half years in corporate America. I can't stand networking events, like can't stand them. And I, I, it, it's taken me a while to figure out why. And I think it's because surface level networking and surface level connections drive me bonkers. And it's this, it's this to be, to be able to put down my wall for a little bit, to have an authentic conversation with somebody. This is what gives me energy. This is what drives me. And you know, like you got to strike a balance. Obviously I work in corporate America, I have to network, <laughs> um, but there, there is that level of like, to me, if I were to like be able to rewrite the definition of connection, it is the ability to connect with somebody on, on their truest level. And for you to take off your mask and that gives them the, the, permission, whether they realize they need it or not to do the same. And to me, that's connection. That's like authentic connection. And that's what breeds empathy. And that's my other big why is, is the world needs a little bit more empathy right now. And this is one way to, to do that, in my opinion. I, so the words you said that I'm just trying to feel what's going on in my body right now is the word permission for sure and the word empathy. And I'm thinking back to pre-COVID when I was still in my corporate job and I showed up to an office every day, I'm visualizing myself sitting in the cafe where there's a coffee shop and, and having mentoring discussions. These are not people that I work with, but these are people who you just, you know, your paths cross somehow and you, you sit down and meet. And I think those were some of the truest connections I ended up forming in corporate America because it was a space where we both allowed ourselves to just be completely open and transparent and we didn't work together. So it, you know, certainly there was some, some exchange of people you could talk to, to get help with these things, but really it was, who do you want to be in the world and how is the job you're in now serving that? And if it's not, how can you do more of that in your job? Most managers would rather you show up and say, Hey, I want to do this and not really need a reason why. And then all of a sudden you're doing better in your job than for you to be seething in your cubicle or now in your home office going, I just wish they'd give me some permission to do stuff. And, it, and sometimes it's somebody outside of that work team that needs to give you the permission to just say, go try it. Like, what is the worst thing that's going to happen if you go try this thing that you perceive is totally crazy? I sitting across the table from you think it's completely sane and normal. And as a leader, I would appreciate somebody on my team showing up to do that. So I think it's really interesting that we can almost, how can we connect with other people so that we're basically creating this spiral of permission because that's also, I think, something that, that that's holding women in is this idea of permission. And I've always asked before I've done the thing. It's, you know, it's like beg for forgiveness, ask for permission type of thing, like probably more likely to uh, ask for the permission first. It's like, no, 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 let's just try the other way for a while. I, I love this. We can have like a whole sidebar conversation on like corporate America and like leadership and, and all of this. Um, but I want to, I want to go back to, so I also have two daughters um, they're four and two and a half. And so I'm curious, as you've gone through this journey yourself, 
this is like a selfish question, so forgive me. As you've gone through this journey yourself, how have you seen or, or have you seen yourself sort of change your parenting at all to, to um, cause I often say like my girls are my mirrors and I also try to model, right? Like I recognize that I cannot control them obviously. Um, and so I need to model what I want them to see. And so I'm just curious, like how has this manifested in sort of your parenting? So I think there would be two different answers depending if we're in pandemic or not. So I think pandemic mom, probably not the model mom, because I just, we're all up in each other's stuff all the time. And there's way too many hours of roadblocks and computers and screens. And I just, I've given up, like I just have given up and it's, I've actually felt better now that I've just raised my hand and said, all right, this will, this too shall pass. And in the meantime, let them play Roblox. But pre-pandemic, when I feel like I was leaning into, okay, who am I becoming and how is this showing up as a mother? I started seeing my daughters do things like write out motivational quotes or uh, say things that were very coach-like. And so it wasn't so much I was doing anything, but once again, I was just showing up in a different way and they model that and they mimic that. And even my, my daughter, when she was in first grade, two years ago, the teacher was doing stuff on growth mindset. And I thought this was beautiful. I'd like, hello, we're just kind of catching on to this in corporate America. And my first graders learning it. And, um, I, I do a lot of video work in that week. I did my video on growth mindset and I sent it to the first grade teacher. And they were like, let's watch Mrs. Siston do the video on growth mindset. And then all of a sudden, like my, my video channel would pull up on my first graders YouTube. And so I think it, what's interesting is, you know, I have like 33 subscribers on YouTube. So if anyone wants to give me a follow, awesome, go for it. Um, but my kids watch YouTube all the time, but they're like, mommy has a YouTube channel. Um, so I think what I've noticed about myself is they are just like, are you going to go work on small town leadership today? Like they get the fact that I, I grew a company. They, they understand that I quit a job during the pandemic. My youngest, it was, she's like, are you going to like make the cake that says I quit? Cause that, that was a commercial going on <laughs> yeah. at the time. I was like, I am not going to make a cake that says I quit. That would not be appropriate, but they, they got what was happening. So yeah. it's not so much shifting my parenting style as just kind of doing the work that I'm encouraging everybody to do is just be yourself in all the places and the little ones will follow suit. I love that. I absolutely love that. Um, okay. The, the last sort of question or thing that I want to unpack is you mentioned sort of this process of admission her. What has that looked like for you? Uh, well, I will, I'm just going to walk you through the framework of the book because it's the most natural way and it did unfold pretty naturally. So the, the process, and this started by uncovering those journals. And so for the listeners, this can, you, maybe you are sitting on a stack of journals you kept when you were younger, or maybe it's photo albums, yearbooks, digital type stuff, videos, home videos, that type of thing. But it was remembering her. And it was just that surface level things, finding the pictures of you doing something crazy when you were little, not the posed school picture, the posed family picture that's hanging up in the hallway, but no, the one where you're like being your real self and, you know, all, all of our parents likely have some, some boxes of those laying around. So the first step is to remember her, just 
to put a different label on her. The second is reconnecting to her. So it's, I call it remembering her as very surface level. Like, oh, I remember what I looked like and those things we did. But the reconnection is how can I viscerally reconnect to her? How can I put myself back in some situations where I can refeel the emotion I felt at the time that I won that big award or I delivered that big speech. I gave that piano recital. I had that boy break up with me, whatever that might be. How can you reconnect to that visceral emotion to remind yourself of what it can feel like to be her again? And then we have to remove those barriers. Like I talked to you about it's, it's literally sitting down and I've got an exercise uh, called the barrier buster. That's uh, that happens in the book. And it's a way for you to just sit down and sort of list out all the potential things that could be in the way of her being present and, and really getting truthful with yourself about how many of those are actual, real, true, physical, hard barriers that need time, money, resources that you might not have. So that's one le level, but then there's internal barriers. It's that internal dialogue. It's those things we're telling ourselves and only ourselves. And those um, are harder to spot and they're harder to remove. So there's a lot of time in the book spent on that. And then finally, it's once you identify the barriers, it's building your own plan to let her out. You know, and for me, that started with creating this business while working full time and figuring out how to do that. But most importantly for me and why we're talking today, why this book's coming out into the world is... I have let her out, reclaim who you've always been booked for several stages in 2020 as a keynote. And all those things got canceled when the pandemic hit. So I was staring at these proposals. It was a proposal only. It was, you know, the title and a paragraph and the three things you're going to get when you come to this session type of thing. And I was like, well, I could just forget it or I can move forward and do this. And so the let her out to me was I set up a stage just like you and I, it's, it was a Zoom call on a Wednesday night and I invited my email list and my friends and 20 people showed up live to watch me deliver this keynote that otherwise would have not been. And that experience changed everything for me in 2020 because that's when I started writing the book in earnest. That's when I got really serious about who I wanna be in the world and how do I go do that without my connection to corporate America. And it's been the best decision that I feel like I've made in 40 years. I thank you. And I love that. Natalie, how can people continue to follow you on your journey? Well, first of all, I am grateful for anyone who wants to join me on this journey. I feel like I'm so early in it. So if you can connect with me now, I hope that you can just see this hopefully rocket take off as we build this movement. You know, I wrote down in one of my writing sessions, like I'm not writing a book, I'm creating a movement. So I do invite everyone to join the Let Her Out movement. Um, I and my platforms are very easy to find. I'm the only Natalie Siston. <laughs> so find me <laughs> in all the places, you know, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and then letherout.com is where your listeners can go to get all of the latest on the book. Uh, the link to get your own copy is right there, along with a ton of resources to help you read it with a, a friend, read it with your partner, read it with your mother, your sister, a book club group. Um, so I would definitely encourage people to connect with me at Natalie Siston, letherout.com and small town leadership. Awesome. And that's actually one thing I want to, I pull a thread on. And I said this to you the first time we connected, you know, this idea of small town leadership to me, it's about community. And 
I think for personally for a very long time, I like resisted community, I think because I grew up in such a small town. Um, but as I've gotten older, right, I, I realized that the, um, the benefit, the value, the connection that comes with that community. And so I, as, as people are going through this journey themselves, I love that you're sort of tying those two things together because I think that it's so important because it truly does take a village. It truly does take, you know, you standing up and reconnecting with yourself, but asking for help, asking for what you need. And and then knowing that the community that you have around you will show up for you. Absolutely. And I think what I have been most proud about the platform is I've changed the positioning and, and, you know, tagline over time, but when it was created, it was like, how can we make our big world feel like a smaller place? Because that's what's made, I mean, I started, we're not going to go down this path, but I started my career in Silicon Valley as well. And imagine small town girl from Ohio moving to Silicon Valley. Whoa, that was crazy. And I just did the only thing I knew how to do, which was to make that place feel like a small town. And by the time I left, it felt like home. And that's just been my MO everywhere I've gone is, okay, I need to make, I need to figure out how to make this place feel small. And I know we're going to take it by storm. I love that. Well, thank you, Natalie. I've enjoyed this conversation. You're quite welcome. It's been great. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. If something in the conversation resonated with you, please, please share it with a friend that you think needs to hear this conversation. Feel free to tag me on social media. Let me know how you're listening, where you're listening, and what resonated. Tag me at This Is My Truth Podcast, or feel free to shoot me a DM. And because we're a new podcast and this shit matters, I would love for you to leave me a rating and review. Tell me how you truly feel. This entire podcast is about vulnerability and authenticity. So let me know how you really feel and give me some feedback. I really appreciate it.